Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Welcome home everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, Alhamdulillah here. Um, I wanted to uh, get everything set up on the TV, but it's not working for my laptop today. So if you guys don't mind, inshallah, going to Quran.com and just um, opening up Quran.com slash 18. And then you can scroll down to item number. We're going to start today at 29. That way you can stick with what we're reading, inshallah. Okay? Alrighty. How's everybody? Guys, it's going to be cold this week. 100. Inshallah. 99. Use your jacket out. SubhanAllah. Okay. So, we uh, are today, inshallah, going to start the second, the second theme in the chapter, which talks about um, another group of people or two people specifically. So the first theme was about a group of individuals that went and sought refuge in a cave to protect their faith from the persecution that they were experiencing religiously. Uh, the second group is a different, it's about social dynamics, but it's a little bit different. But in between then, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us sort of like an intermission, a reminder in between the two stories. And we talked about last, uh, last week, last Monday, on the 20, uh, 28th ayah. So if you, well, you went to 29, but if you scroll to 28, the final reminder that Allah gives the Prophet Muhammad is to bear patiently. And he says that, be patient with those people, be patient and be with those people, not be patient with. In English, that means like you have to be patient, like in spite of somebody. But he's saying, wasbir nafsaka ma'alladina. Be patient against yourself, like bear yourself patiently and be with those people who Those people who call upon God in the morning and in the night. And we know that in the Arabic language, when the two of the poles are used on a spectrum, like day and night, east and west, it also means everything in between. Okay, it's one of the idioms, it's one of the expressions in Arabic. So, the Prophet ﷺ here is being told and reminded to be with people who have the wealth of faith. That that is ultimately what will bring him strength and patience and contentment. And we did a little experiment last time. We asked everybody, hey, where do you derive your patience from? And everybody 
kind of talked about it individually and said, you know what, I just have to be patient. I have to dig deep. I have to breathe. I have to do my meditative exercises. But we rarely see other people as being amused for our patience, right? But if you think about it, when you spend time with other people who have those beautiful characteristics, you end up emulating them whether or not you realize it. You end up just copying those beautiful characteristics. So here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is instructing and teaching the Messenger to do that. And then he finishes by saying, don't be distracted and don't be deluded, right? And don't be impressed by the riches and the wealth that people have. Don't let that be some sort of standard of being impressed by somebody. And we said last week, right? If somebody walks in and we announce them as this is a multimillionaire, everybody for some reason will just be impressed by default. Okay? But then if I said they're a multimillionaire because they're like a drug lord, right? Then everyone's like, oh. Right? So it's interesting that the wealth itself care well, not enough people had shock, right? Everyone's like, it's okay, right? You know? No, that's wrong. That's bad. Okay? Cannot be a cartel, not halal wealth. There's something about wealth that carries like this impressive, it, 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 it's, it's glittery. I mean, the Prophet literally, when he described it, he said, like it's sweet and it's green. Like when you see like a sweet green uh, vegetation in the desert, it like, it like charms you, right? And subhanAllah, in, in the context of especially what happened here locally in Dallas this week, where you had, you know, last week I talked about the legacy of Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif, may Allah have mercy on him, passing away suddenly at the age of 47 in Dubai. And then you have, in Dallas last week, it seemed like every day there was an announcement of somebody losing their life. Right? You had our brother Ramiz, may Allah have mercy on him, who passed away. You had Imam Kashif's daughter, Amra, who passed away. She was 13 years old. You know, I went to the Janazah. I've never... I've never experienced something like that in my life. You know, in the janazah, when you stand up to pray, the imam explains, there's four takbir off. The first one, you say takbir, you read thana. If you don't know thana, do surat al-fatiha. The second one, you do salawat. The third one, you make dua for the deceased. And the fourth one, you say salam. When he was explaining making dua for the deceased, he said, make dua for my daughter. I've never... You know, the, the scene from the seal of the Prophet is holding is holding the children that are dying in his life and they're passing away. I never thought I could see that moment until I saw what I saw on Monday. And the irony and, and, and just is that we leave those gatherings, we go to the burial, we reflect on that, we leave, and then it's life just moves on. And it's back to work. I, I can't be late for my 2 p.m. I have a meeting, I have a one-on-one with my supervisor. It's crazy. Like the human soul has no time to separate from money, to like recover from like the really serious existential challenges. We don't, unless we create those boundaries. And Allah here is telling us that money is so powerful, it's such an intoxicant, that if not dealt with very carefully, that it can absolutely dominate your entire worldview to the point where what you respect is wealth, what you admire as wealth, what you yearn for as wealth, what causes you happiness and pain as wealth, and ultimately it can become what you worship. That's essentially what the warning is saying. So here, Allah is warning the Prophet in a guiding way, right? Not warning him, obviously, in the way that we would use that word. He's guiding him and teaching the Prophet that 
Don't let wealth be a distract. Those people are wealthy, but that's not any sort of merit. There's not, that's not a qualification of goodness. Be with those people who remember Allah all the time. Even if those people don't have the status of others in society, what they have is truly more valuable than anything else. Okay? Um, and then he, he, well, we'll start today number 29. Really, really, subhanAllah, very powerful. So Allah Ta'ala now in this intermission passage is going to give us two different case studies. Those people who reject God and who reject faith and reject the, you know, the afterlife, etc., etc. And those people who submit and accept. We're not talking here about people who make mistakes or don't make mistakes, sin, sinful people. Because everybody here makes mistakes. Notice the distinction. Allah is talking about belief. right? He's not saying that, oh, those people who are perfect who never miss a salah, who do this and that. No, that's never. Allah never makes that distinction for heaven and hellfire. The only distinction that God makes for heaven and hellfire is those who reject and those who believe. All right? So the first group, and he's addressing now the Prophet ﷺ, he says, He says, say, this is telling the Prophet ﷺ, that the truth is from your Lord. And this is an interesting sort of uh, paradigm shift. Because when we argue with somebody, what do we ultimately want to do? Be right. We want to be right. Very good. Right? When you argue with somebody, you want to win. And it gets to the point where sometimes you even like manipulate the information that you're using in the argument. You kind of like hide things. If they have a good point, you, like, you ignore it. But you know what's interesting is that when you are arguing, not on behalf of yourself, but on behalf of like a third party. This is why when two people have a dispute, what do they do? They call in what? An arbitrator. Because the arbitrator is not clouded by the emotion of wanting to win anything. Right? Unless they're being paid. Then that's bad. <laughs> they don't want to win anything. An arbitrator is supposed to be an independent third party. The judge, the jury, all these people are supposed to be, right? Independent third party. When you argue on behalf of somebody else as being the truth, not for you, then all of a sudden all the ego, the inflamed ego is totally extinguished. So Allah is telling the Prophet that when you engage with people who disagree with you, don't make it a Quraysh versus Muhammad thing. Don't make it a me versus you. You're wrong, I'm right. That's not the, the, the mechanism that Allah is telling. Allah is saying, when you want to engage with people about this message, it's not about you're wrong, I'm right. It's about this is the message from God. This is God's message, right? And it's irrelevant who you are and who I am in this whole equation. Because honestly, I don't know how I'm going to die. And you don't know how you're going to die. I might be arguing against somebody and I might die on disbelief. And that person might come to belief by the end of their life. So it's not about following me or not following you. It's about following Allah. Right? And this is a, like Allah is setting the stage very cleanly here. It says, say that the truth is from your Lord. Whoever wants to believe, go ahead. And whoever doesn't want to believe, then go ahead. One of the frequent critiques that you'll hear, and maybe even you have, and that's okay, right? It's, it's normal for people to explore faith. One of the frequent critiques, have you guys ever heard this? Why does Islam or religion tell people to do this? You guys ever heard this before? You guys ever felt this before? I remember when hot Cheetos became haram for like 18 months. <laughs> this is a big deal for everybody. Why does Islam take away everything, right? Okay? That was the straw. It wasn't anything else. That was it. Hot Cheeto. And then, alhamdulillah, some Muslim chemists came and they made everything okay. But, um, where was I? Okay. 
there is a frequently used sort of like rhetorical piece that religion or faith or it's it's it it's too uh, restrictive, right? Doesn't let me do what I want. Doesn't let me do anything. This verse is kind of just saying the opposite of that. Allah is saying, look, at the end of the day, you have the freedom to choose and to do what you want. This is from the mercies and the, and the, the paradox of divine decree is that Allah knows what you're going to do, but He gave you the choice. And He said, you're allowed to do what you want to do. And it's not as though Allah is controlling every single person with His Mashiach. Right? With his irada. Like, he's not making us pray Fajr every day. You know, you're just sleeping, all of a sudden your body just stands up, you walk over to the bathroom. It's not like that. We're not like being puppeted around. You have free will. You can decide to pray and not. You can decide to fast or not. You can decide. All these things are up to you. And Allah is totally okay with this. Like, he's giving it to you. But he is saying one thing. And this is the part that of any person who wants to posit that religion is too controlling, religion is this... You read this verse, Allah's only saying one thing. He's not saying, you have to do this. He's saying, look, you have the choice. You're allowed to believe or disbelieve. But what he is saying is, you cannot get away in life with doing something and not realize that every action has a reaction. Like, everything has a consequence. Okay? If I do something, there's going to be a result. Every state has a reality. Right? If I go grocery shopping, and I'm standing in the checkout line, I have to pay. If I walk out without paying, I'm going to get arrested, right? I'm going to be, there's going to be a problem. If I run red lights, I'm going to get in trouble. I'll get into an accident, I'll get pulled over. I can't just simply say that I want to do something and then ignore the fact that there are protocols, there are consequences, right? For better or for worse. And then if I do things the right way, if I abide by the systems that I engage with that I think are good, then I will be the recipient of those fruits, right? So Allah is saying, look, everybody in this room, you have a choice. And this is, by the way, a lot of people, uh, um, you know, my dad is a convert. Anyone here, like, uh, are you a convert yourself, or you have a family, like, member who's a convert? Everyone thinks I'm a convert. If you think I'm a convert, and as long as you're listening to me, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. My dad's a convert. He doesn't get enough credit, right? Everyone's like, what's your convert story? I was like, I was born. <laughs> I actually went to a talk one time in England, and they set up, Abdurrahman Murphy, how I came to Islam. And I was like, born, right? Later on, you read. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Um, there, there's oftentimes this, this mystique around people who are born into other faith traditions or non-faith traditions, and they accept Islam. People like my father, people like the people who raise their hand. And there is a lot of power behind a person that is guided and explores and decides and commits to Islam on their own with no, with no familial effort, no familiar, uh, 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 you know, influence. That's it's incredible. Like I, my dad's story is that he heard the Adhan in Egypt because he was working as an engineer and he was building a cellular infrastructure in Cairo, and he heard the Adhan and he thought it was a fire alarm. And he went downstairs to pray, or he went downstairs to leave the hotel, and he saw everybody heading to the musallah of the hotel. And he was like, what's going on? And they were like, this is prayer. My dad's from Springfield, Illinois. There's very little exposure to Muslims, if any. Just theoretical, right? Like, you know how we see those, like, uh, those, like, tribes that have never been contacted by outside communities before? That's kind of like what people in Springfield think of Muslims, right? 
And, and so this is his first exposure. And I remember he told me one of the things he said to me when I was asking him about that moment for him, like, what was it like, you know, being like this guy from Springfield, Illinois, engineer in Egypt, right? And he said, I've never been more convinced of something because I've never seen anybody wake up and go to pray in the middle of the night. He's like, that to me was just so astounding that people get up out of their bed and go pray, right? So you can imagine the whole, the pressure I've lived my life with feather prayer in particular. <laughs> my dad's just standing there, he's like, all right, you need to go to the Egyptian hotel. So everybody has their own story, but what's interesting is that we don't oftentimes appreciate, right, the fact that everybody, regardless how you started your life, has to choose Imam. You have to choose it. And everyone's moment of choice is different. For some people, it's earlier. For some people, it's later. For a lot of people, it's when they step into financial independence. So when a, when a, when a Muslim person who's born into Islam, and they go through their entire you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, and then they go to college, and then they're able to finally get some quote-unquote freedom, right? After living the double life. I see a lot of people smiling, right? It's really, really bad, by the way. The, the, the quality of lying that young Muslims have to develop is definitely borderline like clinical. Like seriously, it's, it's insane. Like this is like watching Born Identity, except it's like prom. Like a Muslim person trying to go to, the, to like a dance or on a date with somebody is like, I see people laughing. You're, all of you are guilty, right, okay? I don't know who would do that, right? What are you talking about? One half's like, I don't know. The other half's like, wait, that's wrong? Yeah, right? So the, 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 that moment then you have to step in and choose, like that I actually want to believe in this. I remember, I remember the, the, the first time that I actually had to decide, like willingly, that this is for me. And it was in college. And it was because why? I didn't have my mom or dad there to tell me, like, pray, right? I had to decide that for myself. And I could have easily gotten away with not praying and just been like, whatever. And I distinctly remember that moment. Like, it was something that was like a milestone in my mind that this is when I decided that I am a Muslim because of me. For a lot of people, it's when they move out for the first time. Okay? So Allah here is saying that. If you believe, if you want to, then believe. If you don't want to, then you don't have to believe. Okay? So number one is you have to subdue the ego. It's not about you or me being right, it's about Allah. Number two is that you have the choice to decide, right? And that choice, again, has consequences. And it has rewards, for better or for worse. Whatever you decide to do, for better or for worse. Now, for the person who decides to follow the straight path, it's like when you go hiking and you follow the path. For the person that decides to diverge off of that, then it would be like being on that same hike but deciding to go on your own and not follow the path that was set out for you, the paved way. You could figure out a way to get to the top of that mountain, and, but you're gonna have to deal with all the scratches and all the, the danger that comes with that. That's just the reality, right? So we believe that the Islamic path is the one that is the most safe, is the one that has been designed to keep us intact spiritually, physically, mentally, etc. okay? Now, for those people who decide not to believe, those people who decide to disbelieve. Allah Ta'ala lays out the punishments. And he says that we have prepared for the wrongdoers a fire whose walls will completely surround them. And when they cry for any help, they will be aided with water that is hot like molten metal, like lava, which will burn their faces. What a horrible drink, Allah says, and what a terrible place to call your resting place. What a terrible place to rest. So the description is very, very dark. 
You guys ever read a description of Hellfire in the Quran? You're like, wow. This is by a design that is supposed to ignite within the person a sense of concern. Now remember what we said. The hellfire that Allah is threatening with is not for the person that is scared of hellfire. Does that make sense? So anyone in here, if you hear that and you're like, wow, that sounds horrible. I don't want to go there. Well, good news. Like That feeling is a proof that inshallah you won't. May Allah give us complete passage from hellfire. Right? So any sort of anxiety or distaste about hellfire, any sort of like, I don't want to go there, is a good sign. These verses are meant to be a very serious warning for those people that are like, oh, really? That, you think that exists? That's, these verses are meant to awaken the heart of that person. That say, yeah, if you think that this is like a joke, that this is just mockery, that this is something that's, you know, you, you know then Allah says, you'll find out. Like, it's unfortunate, but everyone will find out. Right? Everyone in this world is going to go to sleep permanently, and then they'll wake up when the trumpet is blown, and everyone's going to find out. May Allah Ta'ala keep us on the good side. Right? So this is the, the threat that Allah Ta'ala gives. But notice in the Quran, Allah never gives a threat without giving the reward, ever. In the passage, you'll always find, hell's mentioned, heaven's always followed up. So then Allah Ta'ala says, Those people who believe and do good deeds. Remember, Allah said it's a choice. Those people who chose, you chose to believe, and you tried your best to do good deeds, then Allah says what? Allah will never, ever, ever let your good deeds go to waste. Your good deeds will never, ever not be valid. Right? You don't have to worry about it being accepted or not. As long as you try it. It's interesting. I always find this so powerful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never talks about the quantity of deeds. Do you guys ever realize that? When you read the Quran, when Allah mentions good deeds, He doesn't mention that you have to hit a certain number. It's not about that. He never says that you have to reach a thousand or a million. All he talks about is good deeds. If you believe and you're sincere, that's it. And guess what? You can sincerely make mistakes. It's possible. You guys ever tried really hard to do good and not been able to do it? Like, you, I'm going to wake up for Fedra and you just miss it. I'm going to give charity and you just forget or you don't. It happens. The beauty of our religion is that Allah, from His mercy, rewards even the good intention. So a person who wants to do good... Your intention is so powerful, Allah gives you the reward. Now, if you're able to do it, Allah gives you even more reward. But then from His mercy, if you intend to do bad, Allah does not give you the consequence or the sin until what? Until that act is fulfilled. So if you intend to do bad, and your friend or your family, whoever, yourself, you stop yourself, or somehow you are stopped, from from the gifts is that Allah does not make it an, an equal equation on both sides. Intention only rewards. It does not ever drag a person to the hellfire. So, the actions that you do, right? The actions that you do are the pillars that your belief stands on. Now, what happens if a person says, I believe, I really do, but they don't do anything? What do you guys think? A person says, I believe, I really believe, but they don't do any of these. Okay, so there is an inherent reward of at least like submitting and thinking it. Good, what else? What happens? Yeah. Okay. That's good. So we have a hint here, we have a clue. In the Quran, Allah mentions believing and doing good deeds. 
right? There are times where he mentions disbelieving. There are times where he mentions doing good. But yeah, overwhelmingly, they're mentioned together. So what do you think happens? You didn't answer the question first. Uh, um, well, you just gave me like, you're like, well. The good deeds like kind of Okay. What happens then? Like, what if I told you, like, I really believe, like, I really do. I just don't do anything. But then the question is, why? Ah, there we go. You guys hear that? The question is, why not? Right? Isn't it? Like, why not? Why don't you do it? Okay. So I really believe, but I just don't pray. The next question is, you have to add why. Because if you inspect, if you try to like interrogate yourself a little bit, you'll find out something very interesting. Why is it that I don't pray? Is it laziness? How many of us struggle with Salah because of laziness? Okay. How about we'll do, be honest. Okay, yeah, that's one. Right? There's a lot of reasons. Now, how many, not in this room, don't raise your hand. How many people don't pray because they believe that prayer is not necessary? That's another question. Right? So it's interesting to find a lot that the faith of a person depends not only on the statement that they say, but it also depends on what's in here. Right? So what the scholars say about this is very important, is that if your submission is intellectually, you say, I submit. I submit to Allah, and I know that I have to pray. I know I have to fast. I know that I can't do this. I know that alcohol is haram. I know that. I know that I have to work a job. I know, like, I know these things. Okay? But... I struggle. That's an entirely different person than the one who says, I don't really think you have to. Even though the effect is still what? If you look at the person on the outside, what do you see? No difference. The one person who says, prayer, eh. do you really need to? It's 2022. Right? Like prayer, you know, they had more time back then. Now I'm doing this and that. The one who, no, prayer is not. Versus the one who says, I know. I know, I know. And that really exists. That really exists. That regret, that remorse. I'm sure many of us are ourselves at some degree in our religion are practitioners of this feeling. I know I should do this. I'm, I, I'm just not there yet. I want to be there. And I respect those people who are doing it. I really do. When I see somebody and they're doing this good deed, I wish I was with them. Right? You know what's interesting? There are people that would come to the Prophet Sallallahu and the Prophet would give these like, amazing hadith. Like he would be like, for the person who does this is Jannah. For the one who does this is Jannah. For the one who does this, and there would always be that one Sahabi that would go to the Prophet and be like, I don't do any of that. I can't. I want to, but I struggle. And those are the hadith that are the ones that cause your eyes to level with tears. Right? The man who came and they said, Yeah, Rasulullah, I don't pray very much, I don't do anything. And then he says, But I love you so much, Rasulullah. Like, I promise I love you. The Prophet Sallallahu smiles and says, on the Day of Judgment, you're going to be with me then. Who doesn't want to be with the Prophet Sallallahu on the Day of Judgment? It's like being at a, at a crowded event and you're with VIP. People are like, where's your badge? You just point at the man that you're with, or the woman, right? You don't point at your, you don't even, yeah, I don't have a badge. Imagine the Prophet Sallallahu taking you by the hand into paradise. After, after missing this and that your whole life, he just says, there's a beautiful poem that, you know, that's recited in a lot of the different gatherings. And one of the lines in the poem is, they say, Ya Rasulullah, khud biyadi. Like, on that day, just take me by the hand. Because I don't know where I'm going. 
Like I lived my whole life bouncing off walls left and right, making mistakes up and down. Oh yeah, so on that day, I'm gonna close my eyes and just gonna hold my hand up. Please just take my hand and guide me, right? So that belief is so powerful. But what we learn from the Quran, from the Hadith is this. The belief that a person has is the precious jewel, right? That they have, and the actions are the things that protect it. And a person who has that belief, but is unable to translate that into actions, they can sustain that for a little while. But it's not a long-term solution. It's not a lifestyle that can be lived long-term. Why? Because the actions become the language of what's in the heart. Right? It's like me telling my wife, I love you, but I'm not going to do anything you ask. Right? But I thought you loved me. I do. I swear I do. We're married. Then can you do this? No. Come on now. Right? What would you say? Like, maybe he's having a bad day. Give him a break. Right? Maybe he's having a bad week, six months, two years. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not for a lot of right? I'm not even lie to that. There was that joke, right? My wife always asked me every day to do something. She doesn't have to keep asking. I'll get to it in six months, right? Okay. Anyways, for those of you very good that. All right. So, the point being is that that statement has to be what supported. There has to be evidence. There has to be evidence. So, the actions that we do become, they become the evidence for the statement that we make. The actions that we do become the proof. They become the this is why, by the way, the word sadaqa comes from the word sidq. Charity comes from the word which means truthfulness. Because why? Charity shows that you mean it. When you give charity to something, why? Do you give charity to everything? Do you give charity to every cause? What charity do you give charity to? Causes that you what? That you support, that you believe in. If you see something, right? There's a charity. You guys ever been like, you've seen like, oh, can you please donate to like the... The, like the, um, I don't know, I don't want to offend anybody here. Um, can you please donate to, like, Roots? And everyone's like, no, I'm not going to donate to that, right? Right? But then you go and they're like, can you please donate to, like, the Happy Kitten Society of, like, Wyoming? Like, we need to keep kittens happy. You're like, absolutely, here's a thousand dollars. Meanwhile, Roots is like, you know, anyways. So, you give to what you believe in. So, that's built into the Arabic language. You give sadaqa, it makes tasdiq of what? of the statement that your heart makes. And truly what? It makes, it makes testimony for you with Allah. That's why the Prophet said what? As-sadaqatu burhan. Sadaqa is the proof. Because you only give to that which you love. And if Allah tells you give, and you're like, Ya Allah, I'm giving. Think about it. We just gave zakat, right? We just gave zakat. Uh, uh, we give zakat al-fitr, right? We did the udhiyah. We give zakat every year. You guys ever think about that? Like, it's part of you. You just give it. No one checks it up. Anyone here gone to like, hey, can you take a picture of the animal that was um, for me? I just want to make sure. Can you make sure that those kids got that food? I need to, you know, count the rice. Let me make sure that they had. No one does that. You give sadaqah and you say bismillah. You say bismillah, you write the check. I've had people give, do really shady things with me with charity. Like, here's my routing and, and account number. And I'm like, What? And they're like, yeah, here. And they put it on the table. They're like, here you go. I'm like, and because sadaqah is like that, people want to prove it to Allah. Right? They want to tell Allah, oh Allah, I, I mean it. Right? So every belief that we hold about Allah, the action has to substantiate that. We can go through times where we're just kind of floating for a while. And we're trying to, we're not, our actions aren't substantiating, but it's not a long-term solution. After a while, 
the belief will start to be chipped away at. And eventually some bad things will happen. And that's the story of what happens next. So Allah Ta'ala says, for those people who what? Believe and do good deeds, they never have to worry about their deeds being wasted. Okay? Your imperfections will always be there. Just because you didn't do something perfectly, doesn't mean you give it up. I always tell people this, it kind of shocks them. Just because you don't pray five times a day, doesn't mean you pray zero times a day. Do one. It's, it's not, look, one is not five, okay? I mean, this isn't one of those TikTok videos where they show you that 0.99 is one, okay? Only 10 people are on the same algorithm as me, apparently, right? <laughs> if this isn't one, I'm not gonna say one is fine, but one is better than zero, is it not? Two is better than one, is it not? So your imperfections are part of what make you human. But Allah, and by the way, nobody's gonna show up on the day of judgment with 100%. The Prophet Sallallahu after, and even he said about himself, we don't say it about him, but he said about himself, that no one's entering Jannah based on their deeds. No one's gonna show up and be like, there you go, check it out. I'm sure you'll see that uh, everything is fine. And his daughter said, right, even you? And he said, even me. And his wife said, even you? He said, even me. He told his daughter, Fatima, if there's one person, subhanAllah, man, reading hadith about the Prophet and his daughter, after you have a daughter, is like getting plugged into the matrix. I, I told, like, the statements he says to her now, I'm like, this is incredible. What a father. He's sitting with his daughter, and they're talking about paradise. And he says to her, and this must have been so painful. He says, yeah, Fatima, I can't even take you with me. Like, you, like, what is he saying? Out of everyone in the world, if there was one person that I had a choice, everyone else there is like, wow, you know? Dang, I thought it was me. <laughs> Fatima was like, no, this is daddy's girl. Like, what are you talking about for breakfast? She had, well, I, the breakfast looked like Nutella and waffles, but it was just Nutella. Because she used the waffle like a spoon, right? Okay, and I noticed that because every waffle had Nutella on it. She was eating it, but she was licking it, okay? A lot of kids do that. She does that with french fries and ketchup, too. And as if that wasn't enough, she had chocolate milk on the side, okay? And, and subhanAllah, and I just sit there and laugh, right? He's telling his daughter, like, I can't even take you with me. You know what I mean? So the Prophet is, is sitting there and he's telling, teaching all of us, not a single person is going to be able to just show up on the Day of Judgment and say, I'm good. You know what covers that gap? You're going to have a gap. Okay? And you might even know what your gap is. As you get older, by the way, you might become more aware of what your gap is. You know what covers that gap? Allah's mercy. That's why you say, oh, Allah, have mercy on me. Because when I show up to Allah and my gap, like, I can't jump. Imagine you're trying to cross a river and there's no stones. So I can't jump, I can't make it. Allah's mercy is the one that's going to guide you across that bridge. Right? That's why we say, oh, Allah, have mercy on us. No one says, oh, Allah, judge me fairly. No one says, oh, Allah, judge me fairly. No one says that, right? Whoever says that, run away. I don't want to be around when you're judged fairly, okay? I don't want to see that. I don't want to be judged fairly at all, right? Oh, Allah, don't be fair with me, right? Be really unfair with me, but in the way that I need it. Right? I want you to be so merciful with me that when I go to Jannah, people are like, you? Like, Here I am, right? You know? What do you, I, Allah's merciful, what do you expect? Like, you know, I made it. I made it, you know? SubhanAllah, man. That's the thing. We need Allah's mercy so much. It's more valuable than the oxygen that we breathe. It really is, right? So this is the deed. Then Allah says, for those people, they're going to have Those people are going to have What's the description we see of Jannah Allah? Who can say it? When you read the Quran. 
Gardens underneath which? Rivers flow. Let's be honest. Can I go safe space? Safe space. How many of you are like, yes, this is what I really want? And I'm not my garden. Right underneath the dervish flow. I'm not making light of it, but there's a point here. that The Mufassidin make this point. It's very powerful. First of all, they say, you can't limit it to the language because it doesn't make sense in English. Okay, it doesn't carry the power in English. You know what this is? If you say in English, like, okay, you're going to get a garden. Everyone here is picturing, like, their mint garden in their kitchen. <laughs> and then underneath the river, which flows, and you're picturing, like, some, like, stream in Plano. <laughs> Allah is describing the most beautiful, lush, colorful, fragrant piece of land you can ever imagine, way beyond that. Have you ever seen a garden that just blows your mind? You're just like, I can't believe the colors. I can't believe the smells. I can't, if there's an orchard of fruits, you like, it smells sweet. I remember I was in Spain, I was walking by the orange trees and the whole street smelled like an orange. And I was like, if this is dunya, what is Jannah gonna be like? I remember being, you know, have you guys ever smelled a Pakistani mango before? <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> How? You can't, you don't even eat it, it's like six feet away, you're like, I broke my fast. Like that, it's, it's so, smells so fragrant. Now you compare that to Jannah, where like nothing can come close. Shaykh Mikhail's class on Wednesday, you're gonna go through that, inshallah. Nothing can come close. It's gonna be so far, it's gonna be so far. The, the relativity is not even, you can't even understand it. That when we're in Jannah, we're gonna have a bite of something, inshallah. And you guess what? You don't even have to reach for it. When you want it, the tree is just going to drop the limb to your mouth. And you're going to be sitting there <laughs> in your love sack, right? And it's just going to bring the fruit to your mouth <laughs> and you're going to take a bite. And you know what you're going to say that Hadith tells us? Man, that's so good. We had something like that back with us. Like in the earth, we had something like that. And you're like, I want some more. And you take a bite and the Hadith says the next bite is even sweeter. And you take a third bite, and it's even sweeter. And this is a fruit that every bite you take, every morsel, is more delicious. Right? You guys know how that, in the dunya, is the opposite. The first bite is like, oh my god. Then you have a couple bites more, and you're like, alright, it's tapering off. And then by the end of it, you're like, give this out, give this, give this away for me, right? This is like the biscuits at, at Red Lobster. <laughs> biscuit number one is delicious. By biscuit number ten, you're like, who am I? What am I doing, right? I'm turning into a biscuit, slowly. <laughs> okay? So, Allah is describing this. Now again, the reason why I did that is because when you read that translation, you're like, okay, right? But there's two things. The scholarship, number one, is you don't understand what is being mentioned here. And if you look at all the property in the world that's super valuable, what do you find? The property in the world that's the most valuable is property that is surrounded by greenery and water. Right? Sorry, Oklahoma. Like, nobody <laughs> is, is rushing to Oklahoma right now. Okay? The, the places that people want to live, okay, people want to go visit vacation is what? Beaches, mountains, you know, Pacific Northwest. They want to go up to Maine. They want to do that. Why? Because people want to see greenery. People want to see water. People want to be around that, that climate, right? And, and the, the, the prices, the home prices prove it. Everyone always goes, what would it be like to live here? What would it be like to stay there? Well, everyone has, no one has that question when they're driving through you know, uh, Denton. No one has that question. Okay? 
Why? Because there's not a lot of greenery and water. So even in the dunya, by the way, we have proof for how valuable this is. That's the point I'm trying to make. Sorry, dancing people. <laughs> the second thing is this. To the desert Arab, to whom the Qur'an is being revealed to, all right, it's being revealed to everybody, but live, like at that moment, who's it being revealed? The people of the Prophet, also, no? To the desert Arab, what do they want more than anything? Water and? Yeah, they want vegetation, right? They want, they want money. Because why? If they had water and vegetation, remember people, we live in a different uh, economic system, okay? We live to work. They worked to live, okay? They worked to live. And some people work to live today. There's a, a shawarma shop that I went to in the city. I forgot which one it is. It was like Madison or some, it's really like, you know, just some city, I forget where exactly. And the brother, he makes so much money during the, uh, 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 during like six months of the year that he shuts down his restaurant for six months. And everyone's like, why do you do that? You can make so much more money. He's like, I don't want to. And they're like, you don't want to do what? He's like, I don't want to make more money. They're like, what's wrong with you? He's like, I would rather go and visit my family. My mother lives overseas, my cousins, this and that. So I make my money and then I shut down, right? And everyone's like, that's baffling to me. And he's like, no, that's called what? That's called working to live. Like you just work as much as you need to and that's it. A lot of us have been conditioned to live to work, which is the opposite, which is every day of your life, your success, your value, how you feel about yourself, might be contingent upon if you work and if you're get, making this much money and this and that, when in reality, we have, alhamdulillah, more than enough to sustain our basic needs, okay? So the Arabs, back in the time of the Prophet they didn't have this live-to-work mentality. They had a work-to-live mentality, which is what? If they had enough money, they would just stop. So what they're hearing from the Qur'an is not that you're just going to get water and vegetation. They're hearing Jannah is a place of what? Relaxation. Jannah's retirement. Because if you have water and vegetation, do you have to buy groceries? Because why? You grow it. Do you have to buy water? Do you have to pay money to go to the well and pull up a bucket? No. If you have water and vegetation, you have what? Ultimate peace. It's retirement. That's the closest thing that I could think of when I was, doing, when I was reading the tafsir. That was the closest thing I could think of when I was trying to compare what the professor was describing. It was like retirement. Many of us are like, when I retire early retirement, this and that, right? So Allah, when he describes Jannah, it's like eternal retirement, that you get whatever you want. For those people, it was the water and the greenery and the vegetation. For you and me, it might be something else. And Allah Ta'ala describes it. He said what? They're gonna be wearing garments, thobes. They're gonna be wearing nice garments made from silk, and istabarak is translated as brakad, it's like another kind of fabric. I don't know, right? You can tell this clearly. We're all going to find out in Jannah together, okay, what that is exactly. But it's some sort of elaborate silk. It's some sort of elaborate thing, okay? And Allah Ta'ala says that what? They're going to have fiha min asawura min dhahabin. That they're going to be wearing bracelets and they're going to be wearing jewelry of gold. Allah is giving all these beautiful luxuries that in the time of the Arabs it was like, this is it. I've made it. I can't... You're telling me that I have water, I have a garden, I'm wearing gold and silk. What do I need? What do I need? It's like if I told you that you're going to have a million dollar mansion on the beach in Southern California with everything you need, right? And you're like, what else do I need? Okay? Now, remember that when you read these types of ayah in the Quran, these ayat, where Allah is describing Jannah, 
Literally, they are true. That will be there. But on top of that, Jannah is a place where you get whatever you want. This is the lesson that I'm teaching literally my children. Because their big question is, can I have this in Jannah? And the answer is yes. There is no no in Jannah. Okay? You can get whatever you want. It's a place where the laws of physics are suspended. The laws of the material world are suspended. There is no no in paradise. Right? So... If you don't want garments of silk and of brocade, and you just want Lululemon, like that's also <laughs> going to be there for you. If you just want, if you don't want like rivers of milk and honey and wine that doesn't intoxicate, which again is there, Allah is giving it to everybody. But if you just want like Pakistani mangoes, that will also be there for you, right? It's important to understand that Jannah is not some sort of limited space. It's truly unlimited. Okay? It's truly unlimited. Um, and that's why when Allah Ta'ala talks about those who believe, He says, this little bit of work that you did, you're going to get this unlimited reward. And when Allah puts it that way, the investment potential, the ROI, right? When you talk about finite versus infinite, is, is not even calculable. May Allah Ta'ala give us Jannah and allow us to be there. Okay? So this is from ayah number 31. Okay, let's continue now. Allah Ta'ala here, uh, continues now with the second story. And he says, وَضْرُبْ لَهُمْ مَثَلًا رَجُلَيْنِ جَعَلْنَا لِأَحَدِهِمَا جَنَّتَيْنِ That Allah Ta'ala says, tell them. And this is a, a, a word in Arabic, right? It literally means to strike something. It actually means to hit something. Right? If you were Arab, you grew up with your parents in Hatadrabik. Right? You want me to hit you? Don't, don't take them to jail, please. Okay, so... Darabah means to hit something and it makes a noise, okay? Why is Allah using this when he's talking about a story or an example? Because Imam Nawawi talks about this. Imam Nawawi says that the word darab, it can be used metaphorically or figuratively to mean what? We use it now. When something, when, when, when food is really good, what do we say? That hits. That hits, right? Now, no one's going to be like, oh yeah, like, you know, subhanAllah, think about how crazy that language is. Literally, it's like a direct translation. I've also heard it slaps. Okay? Again, I don't use these things. But it hits or it slaps, okay? Or if you, if you read a book or if you watch something and it was really emotional, you say, what? That is different. Okay? Literally, it's tafsir. I mean, daraba, wadurib lahum, hit them with. So, like, you know, previous generations, before this was slang, it was like, what does that mean? Now we're like, oh, we get it. I see everyone in the room, they're like, yeah, it hits, okay. Right? Allah's hitting them with something new now, right? It literally translates. Alhamdulillah, wow. Imam Naomi is like, that was easy. Okay. Because he had to go through this whole explanation, but it's good, okay? That give them the example. He's talking to Prophet now. Give them a story number two. Remember, because of Quraysh were challenging him. Give them the example of the two men. The two men. One of them was given two gardens. Okay, two guys. One of them was given two gardens, okay? The gardens were filled with what? A'nab, grapes, and they were filled with palm trees, and everything else that you can imagine in between. Every kind of crop. Allah basically is saying, these gardens, these two gardens, were the best gardens that any person could ever imagine. Okay? Any single person could imagine. Now, the references on this ayah, when you look at the tafsir, even though Allah says two men, the different Mufassirin from the Sahaba were there when it was being revealed. They said that, according to the Prophet 
these men were actually brothers, or they were really close relatives, like cousins. Sometimes you know someone's really close, they're your cousin, you might, someone might refer to them as like a brother. Like my daughter, she calls her little cousin who was just born her sister. It just says my little sister. And we're like, uh, okay. Okay, because why? Because they're so close. So the tafsir says that they were two brothers. And these two brothers were left an inheritance. And the inheritance was split equally. So they both got, the, the tafsir says 9000 uh, dirham. $9,000, okay? And each of them got 4500 okay? Now, every opportunity that was given for this, for one of the brothers to buy something, he bought it. So he would spend a thousand dirham here, thousand dirham there. He would basically spend his money on materials. He would buy property, he would buy clothes, he would pay for servants. This is how he lived his life. The other brother, when he saw his first brother buying all these things, he took that as an example and he used to make dua to Allah. He said, oh Allah, I see my brother buying earth from the earth here. But oh Allah, I want the earth in Jannah. And so he said, oh Allah, I'm going to give a thousand dirham, not to buy some property here, but oh Allah, I'm going to give it to the fuqara and masakin, because oh Allah, I want some property in the next life. And then, when his brother bought a servant for a thousand dirham, right, paid a servant, contract thousand dirham, you're my servant now. The guy said, yeah Allah, I really don't want a servant here, but in the next life, I would rather be surrounded in Jannah by, the, by being served whatever I wanted. So I'd give it away. Right? And this happened four times with different things that the first brother bought. And then what happened is after the first brother bought all these things, interestingly enough, Allah made it prosperous for him. So he wasn't as charitable as the first guy. Now, wouldn't you think for a moment, okay, if you were to do this logically, who do you think Allah would have given all this prosperity to? The person who was charitable or the one who was stingy? The charitable one. Like We're thinking what? Do good deeds and get good things. That's a simple equation, right? The guy is giving all his money away in charity, but his brother, who's not giving away a dime, is getting all of the garden, the lush, the fruit, all that, okay? Lesson number one. If you're looking for transaction in this dunya, you're going to be disappointed. And this is why. Because Allah is testing our sincerity. It's easy to say I'm doing a good deed and then look around the corner to see where the reward is. It's not really a good deed then. Because why? It's just a transaction. It's like when Musa, God, you know, people tell me actually, one of my friends is like, you know, he's going to listen to these in 20 years and he's going to hate you. People are going to walk up to him and be like, remember when you see chocolate a lot, right? Just don't talk to him later, okay? Uh, it's like when a child, that's good, a child, who knows where I learned about this, okay? It's like when a child does something good and then immediately after, when they tell you, hey, like I cleaned my room, you're like, oh, that's not good job. And like, as you're saying, good job, they're like, can I buy a toy? You're like, wait a minute, that wasn't very sincere. Like, this doesn't feel as good anymore, you know? Like, hey, I was nice to Iman. I'm like, nice job, good job. He's like, can I go? Like, okay, relax, man. Let the sincerity breathe for a second before you crush it with your greediness, right? Again, we laugh because he's five, but how many of us, that lives inside of us? Oh, I prayed. Where's my, where's my dog? Why is it being answered? All I get sabaka, right? Or like Allahumma amin. Open one eye. It's it's comical. It's comical. And from the wisdom, subhanAllah, make dua that I finish this book. I'm translating and commenting on this book. There's a from the wisdoms of why Allah tests people. 
from the wisdoms, there's a whole book, 17 reasons why Allah tests people. I'm writing it. The translation will be called Why the Bad Things Happen. He says there's 17 good things that come from bad things. And from the wisdoms, one of them is because you get to see if you mean it or not. It's easy to say that I mean it, Allah, when times are great. But this guy is giving all his money away. And the only way that he knows that he's sincere is if what? Is if none of that money comes back to him. Because if he sees everything come back to him, then what happens? He's like, wait a minute. Jannah sounds good, but like, I keep getting you know, rewarded for this. So he's sincere. He gives it away. He writes the check. Doesn't check anything. Just, right? So then he goes to his brother. Allah gave, and, and this is a life lesson, by the way. You're going to see people that don't do good, and they get what you want. You're going to see that. Well, I had to do this, and I was patient, and I was this, but that person got everything that I want. That's part of the design of this dunya. That's how it works. You know what you got that that person didn't get? Sincerity or satisfaction of sincerity. If the person who cheated the system and reached the levels that you were aspiring to reach got what you were looking at, they don't know. They don't have that secret moment between you and Allah. Where you say, oh Allah, I wanted that thing more than anything. I wanted that job. I wanted that person. I wanted that more than anything, Allah. But by not doing it the wrong way, I proved to myself, Allah, I wanted you more. I wanted you more than I wanted that job. I wanted you more than I wanted to ruin my heart. So, oh Allah, I stayed away from the things that you told me to stay away from. Even though I had every chance. Right? So you're not losing. You're actually gaining. Right? Some people play checkers. You're playing chess. You're thinking about the long game. Okay? So, the man goes to his brother. Second lesson, subhanAllah. And he's, he, he's come on hard times now. He needs a little bit of help. And he goes and he asks his brother for some, for some help. So, you know, can I have some food? I give all my money away in charity. Again, don't, don't get too caught up on this specific example. Just roll with me, okay? The tafsir says he went and asked his brother for help. What, what, should, what do you think his brother would do? What would you do if you had two gardens full of fruit and someone came and asked for food? What would you do? What? Would you give him some? Yeah, of course. You literally, well, you would just point through the man, take all you want. Number one, it's all here. Number two, it's going to grow back. Eat whatever you want. There's grapes, there's fruit, there's apples, there's this, there's that, bananas. Eat whatever you want, man. Enjoy. Fill yourself up. But you know what the brother says? The tafsir says this, man. This is so painful. It's so painful because, subhanAllah, I hope that none of us have this. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. He looks at his brother. And he says, What happened to your money? What happened to your money? So the tafsir says, He told him his story. He says, like, I gave it all away. And he says, if I give you some money, are you going to give it away too? You're asking me for wealth. I'm going to give you some. But guess what? You're probably going to give that away too because you're dumb. You don't invest. You don't hustle. Wake up at 3 a.m. and meditate like me, right? A little shot at some of the... Anyways, okay. Instead of praising the good deed and saying, what a pious person you are. Yeah, here, take whatever you need. He says, you know why you're poor? You know why I'm rich? Because you're stupid and I'm not. So no, no money for you. SubhanAllah. And he says this to him. And, and that's from the tafsir, but the ayah that mentions it is ayah number 34. 
right? And we're not going to skip ahead, okay? But he says, Ayah number 33, Eat garden yielded all of its produce, never falling short, and we caused the river to flow between them, Allah says. And he had other resources as well. So he boasted to his poor companion of his while they were talking. And he said, I am greater than you in wealth and in manpower. And he tells this guy that you're the reason why you're poor. You should have done better. Okay? Now, there's a couple lessons here that I think are just, you know, if not Jiva, he gives these lessons are profound. Number one is that why does Allah talk about the produce and the river and he says that we gave it to him? When he mentions the garden, he doesn't say that the garden grew. He says we caused it to grow. Allah says that. What do you think? What's the difference? If Allah didn't say we caused the garden to grow and just said the man had two gardens, they were very prosperous, they did well. Why did Allah say we gave him two gardens? We caused them to grow. We put the river. Yeah. Because he can take it away as well. Okay, number one is because obviously la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Like he's the one in power and control. Very, he can take it away. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the irony of the claim is that the man says, this is because I'm smart. I got the inheritance, I invested it, I'm rich because of this. And Allah is saying, really? You caused the water to fall from the sky? You did that? Look at us in Dallas right now. My WhatsApp groups are blowing up when it gets cloudy outside. <laughs> you think I'm joking? I will literally pull up a video of my friend being like, it's raining, and everyone just starts typing Allah Akbar in all caps, 17 people. You think you control the rain? You think you control the rain? 2022 America can do anything. Technologically advanced, you can't solve the drought in Texas. Right? Allah has very interesting ways of humbling us. Literally. Right? You can get in your car and have autopilot, have it drive you wherever you want, but you can't have a drop of water come from the sky to make the earth soft again. And your houses start crumbling. People stand outside with hoses watering cement. You guys know that? You have to water your what? You have to water, there you go, there's all Texans here. You gotta water your foundation, why? Because if you don't, your foundation cracks. Your house, $700,000 house, million dollar house, 300, whatever cost it was, cracks. Why? Because there was no rain. How helpless are we, subhanAllah? So Allah is looking at this guy and he says, we gave you the river. You might have set up the irrigation, but what happens if the water stops? The, what, the river goes dry. Your irrigation is pointless. It just becomes a, a, a highway for bugs. You're not going to get any water to your garden anymore. Right? Lesson number one. Never, ever let your prosperity delude you into thinking that you're the reason for it. And we look at this guy and we say, man, subhanAllah, what a dirtbag. What kind of guy would look at somebody in need and say, I'm the reason why I'm rich. But when you drive by somebody who's asking for money, what thought is in your heart? Why are you in the car and they're on the side of the road? You start to think it's because something you did. It's because I studied. Right? Chappelle has like this amazing skit on it where he brings in Sesame Street. This is the first time Dave Chappelle being brought up in Test Your Sort of ever. <laughs> right? And he talks about like Oscar the Grouch being the archetype for the person asking for money. So, can you imagine if Sesame Street were like real life? Oscar the Grouch, people walk by and say, get a job. How heartless have we become? We look at this story and we think that it's ancient. This is happening in Dallas. This is happening in Carrollton. This feeling, while maybe not verbalized, because that's like true Voldemort stuff, 
That's like true Shaitani stuff. If somebody actually said that, that's a pro- that's like a deep issue. But this feeling exists in the hearts of people. May Allah purify it. We should never look at somebody who's struggling and ask, why are they struggling? Man, do you know how hard it is to ask for help in the first place? Do you know how hard it is to humble yourself and call somebody and say, I need help, I can't pay rent? And then they have to deal with the interrogation. They have to deal with what happened. You're not working? Man, don't, we can't, the Prophet them. there's a description of him in the books of Hadith. They said that whenever he was asked, he gave. Whenever he was asked, he gave. He never said no. Now, he may have not been able to give what the person was asking for. Oftentimes he did, by the way. But maybe he had just something in his pocket that was small and he gave the person whatever he had. We never want to be the person, right? Allah Ta'ala describes when he talks about those people who deny the Day of Judgment. In Surah Al-Ma'un, what does he say? أَرَأَيْتَ الَّذِي يُكَذِّبُ بِالدِّينَ فَذَلِكَ الَّذِي they're the people who repel the orphan and they don't feed food to those who are in need. So whenever somebody asks you for anything, try your best to give. I was sitting in Turkey with some friends recently. We were eating food on the side of the road and these people came up to us and asked us for money and we had no money left because we would just get ATM every morning, just get new, new cash, okay? We had no money left. And the person just looks and they said, and they pointed at the food. And we were like, yeah, of course, of course, right? And that person reminded us, never say no. You may not have cash, but you have something, right? You may be driving home with groceries and there's somebody under the bridge asking for something. Look, you may not have cash, sure, but you have water that you just bought. You have drinks, you have fruit, you have bread, you have whatever. Just roll your window and say, do you want this? Can I get you? Can I? Or, God forbid, spend 10 minutes driving back to Kroger and getting them what they need. What can I buy for you? What do you need? I got 20 minutes. I'm gonna go back and get something. Give me a list. And go and deliver it back to them. You know, subhanAllah, that Imam Kashif, subhanAllah, his daughter just passed away. You know what happened? You know when his, this is really difficult. He, the story of the day that his daughter passed away, she was entering into surgery. You know what he was doing? He prayed Fajr at the masjid. And then as he was driving home, or as he was driving to the hospital, he saw people under the bridge, people who were uh, displaced from their homes. And he took a sharp right turn into a Denny's. Ordered like 50 pancakes, 50 omelets. Waited for all of that, went and gave it. No one knows this. This guy does this every day probably. No one knew. The only reason we found out was because it was part of the story when he found out that his daughter passed. Can you imagine that being your character? You're driving home from the masjid and you see people and instead of just being like, wow, that's so sad. Right? Which is upper middle class for what? Oh, sad. Instead of doing that, you take what Allah has given you. First page of the Quran. Second page, sorry. Allah describes the believers. From what we have given them, they give. Allah mentioned that. From what we have given them, we have given them, they give. Right? We are not a Calvinist ideology where we believe that Allah favored us and He gave us this. No. We believe that we have been given. And what we've been given 
is on a ledger with God. And when we go to the day of judgment, Allah's going to ask us, what did you do with that penny that I gave you? Every single one of them. Okay. So this man says to his brother, what we hope never to say to anybody, internally or externally, that you're poor because of the choices you made. I'm wealthy because of the choices I made. Okay? And then he continues. And the other thing, by the way, is interesting. Some people think that I'll give money when I get rich. Okay? But this man, he, he never gave money, and then when he got more, he never gave it still. The other guy kept giving even when he was losing. Why? Because charity, being a person of sadaqah, is not contingent upon how much money you have. It's a condition of your heart. It has nothing to do with your wealth. It has everything to do with who you are. A charitable person will give when they have very little. And a stingy person, you can't, you can't even force them to give. It's like a claw around their heart. Right? Love of wealth is a claw around the heart. I love to protect us. Okay? So then he says that I am better than you. I am number 35. And then he entered his property. Right? And Allah says, Wronging himself. Because he's not hurting anybody else. He's destroying himself in this moment. He walks into his garden, looks at this beautiful lush garden, fragrant, packed with all kinds of resources. And he says, you know what? This is never going to perish. Famous last words, right? This is never, you, when you're reading the Quran, you're like, I know what happens next. I haven't, read, I haven't seen this one before, but I know what's going to happen next, right? How does a person get from where he was to that statement? It's a logical progression. There's only a few stops. The person that doesn't recognize that Allah gave them anything, that Allah gave them everything, thinks that nothing can take away what they have. Because who's the supplier of it? In their mind, it's them. No one can take this away from me because I'm the one that brought it to myself. The one who recognizes that Allah gave everything, every night goes to the thanking Allah for what they have, realizing fully that they can wake up and everything's gone. You see the difference? Incredible, subhanAllah. The Qur'an is like an ocean. Literally, the tafsir is called Bahr al-Madid. It's literally called an ocean, okay? The oceans. So then he says, I don't think this will ever end. And then he, oh man, as if it couldn't get worse, you know what he says next? He says, nor do I think the hour will ever come. I know, if you were like me when I was reading this for the first time ever, like as an adult, I was like, where did that come from? Why did you bring the day of judgment to this? It's like he's waiting to get struck by a lightning bolt. He's like, and I don't think, like he's just like challenging now. And it's to us, we can make jokes about it, and it's humorous because why? It's so illogical. How on earth did you get from having a nice garden to saying the day of judgment is not real? We're like, that is absurd, man. But you know what he says? And then he finishes with the most absurd statement at all. He says, you know what? I don't think this garden's ever going to disappear. I don't think the day of judgment's ever going to happen. And he says, and if it does, if this day of judgment happens, he goes, I think my, my Lord will give me more than he's given me here. Because, I mean, look, if he gave me all this here, he must love me. Right? And surely if he loves me, this is nothing compared to what he has in the next life. Now, he's correct. This is nothing compared to what he has in the next life. But why on earth do you think you deserve it, man? Why on earth do you think you deserve it? This is the 
delude the, the disease of delusion. The disease of delusion. And it all started where? Not recognizing where your blessings came from. One of the greatest characteristics a person can have is remembering their humble beginnings. Like, we love it. Uh, even secular stories that talk about humble beginnings, we love them. Pursuit of happiness. I know we can't mention Will Smith anymore, but <laughs> I don't know why I didn't see anything. Pursuit of happiness, okay? One of the reasons why these stories are so heartwarming is because why? Because the man was sleeping in a subway bathroom with his son as he was trying to get an internship. If you haven't seen it, it's like a powerful story. It's a narrative of what? They call it what? Rags to riches, like humble beginnings. Even irreligious societies love these stories. There's some characteristics of God that are so beautiful that it doesn't matter if a person doesn't believe in God, they recognize they're beautiful. One of them is humility. Like everyone who's humble, people are just stunned by the humility. Wow. Right? So this guy is completely absent from that humility. And it got him from, look at me, I'm the reason I'm rich, to now, you know what? I don't think this wealth is ever going to disappear. And by the way, the day of judgment, I don't see how that's going to happen. And even if it does, I'm good. Why? Because I think I will be. Meanwhile, his brother has other thoughts, which we'll continue next Monday, inshallah. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us humble people in a way that is not harsh on us. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the beauty of character that the Prophet taught us inward and out. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to have constant pe- uh, characteristics of people of Jannah and that we never give up on ourselves and we never give up on Allah, but we always try, even with all of our imperfections, we ask Allah Ta'ala to keep us close to Him, keep us near, and to never let us drift away. Amen. Amen. Subhanahu wa Couple announcements and then Melbourne in, in 20 seconds. Uh, inshallah, 30 enough tomorrow, per usual. Uh, we also have this Thursday is our monthly uh, Empower session for our sisters. Uh, the topic, uh, and just so you're aware, if anyone here needs a warning, the topic is about the spiritual and medical discussions and implications around the topic of sexual abuse. And so this is going to be a necessary conversation. However, if you want to prepare for it mentally or if you want to take it, uh, uh, take a step back because maybe it's uh, too heavy, uh, then that's absolutely fine. But that's going to be on Thursday, inshallah. Uh, soul food as well on Thursday. And then on Friday, we're actually having a uh, session with a social worker, inshallah, on domestic violence, particularly given the two sisters that were murdered in the Midwest. May Allah have mercy on them both. So we're going to be talking about the religious uh, standpoint, obviously what Islam says about the dangers of domestic violence, and then also for social workers to speak to us about how to recognize these things and to know the red flags. Next Monday is Ashura, which is the 10th of Muharram. Uh, Muharram obviously historically has the significance spiritually. There's obviously tragic history of the family of the Prophet as well with the martyrdom uh, of, of his grandson. Uh, Hussein, uh, so there is that, but the Prophet did tell us that the day of Ashura is a day of fasting because it is the day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, freed the Bani Israel from the shackles of Fir'aun. And so it's a day of fasting, and if a person who fasts on that day and the day before, the day after, that they get their sins wiped from the year previous and the year to come. So it's a beautiful day. So we're going to have a thought here next Monday after our work. So inshallah come, and uh, we're not going to serve any refreshments beforehand, because we want everyone to fast. 
and then after we're going to have ifad, inshallah. So you're more than welcome to stay with us. Invite your friends and family, and we're going to have uh, some food for everybody, okay?